My name is Tamara Gober, and I'd like to personally welcome you to the Hope Community Podcast. Before we begin, if you live in the New York City area and are looking for a church home, I'd like to take this time to invite you to our services. For time and place, check out our website at hopecommunitynyc.com. Again, thanks for listening. We hope you are encouraged by this message, and we truly pray you walk away looking more like Jesus. If you guys want to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that's where we're going to be today. You'll notice that 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is super long. Um, it goes all the way through verse 58, and we're going to get through, uh, we're, going to, we're going to spend one week in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, and that's today. Uh, we're not going to talk about all 58 verses um, in this. We're basically going to get the general idea of what um, Paul is saying here or what the Lord is saying through Paul here. Um, and so we're going to be looking at kind of just that first little section of it. And I think that it's so, so important uh, what he kind of is closing out with. So as you can kind of picture it, these are kind of Paul's last words. If you remember, the Bible wasn't broken up. Whenever Paul wrote this, he wasn't like chapter 15, verse 1. Right? That's what, that's not how, like that was later added so that we could find our way through the scriptures, right? Because nobody wanted to be, remember that one time Paul was saying this? And then like, let's all try to find that. Just flip. It's like the 155th paragraph, if you guys want to turn there. So that's why I was kind of broken up. Um, and so these are kind of Paul's last words. He's kind of like, let's kind of close it up here. Let's kind of land the plane, you know, if you will. And so Paul's going to be doing that in chapter 15 and in verse, and in chapter 16, Right? And so what I want us to uh, kind of see is how he's going to close this out. And, and I've said this before, and you guys know this, whenever we are like, if you were like, okay, I've got one thing left to say to somebody, what, are you going to like say something meaningless, right? No, probably not, right? You're going to say something that's meaningful. And so Paul has been going all throughout this book and he's like, look, you guys have just been divided. It's been terrible. It's been crazy. You've been allowing this. You've been allowing this. Let's make sure that we're representing the gospel well. And then in, and then in chapter 15, he's like, okay, now that I've said all of this, let me end it with this. All right. So let's just dive right in uh, chapter 15, verse one, and let's read uh, verse one and two together. And then um, um, we're going to break it down just for a second. So it says this. He says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you when you received, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. All right? So I love what he's saying here because he's saying, Look, I want to remind you of the gospel. I want to remind you of the gospel that saved you, right? And why is he saying that? He's saying that to them because he's like, all of these things that I've had to tell you, it's like you've forgotten. And the reason that you're struggling so much is because you have straight forgotten the gospel. And if you would just remember it, maybe that in itself would fix everything that's going on within the church, all right? So their actions to him would indicate they have completely forgotten the message that, that Paul brought them at the very beginning whenever that church was planted. And again, he says it was a message that they welcomed and that they agreed with, right? But he also says that it is that gospel that saves them unless, unless, yes, yes, unless they believed in vain, right? 
unless they believed in vain. So this message of the gospel is going to save them unless that whenever he came and they said they believed in the gospel, they truly believed in vain. All right. So that's very key. So I want to kind of talk about this for a second. All right. Um, have you ever had something escape your brain? Yeah, right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That happens all the time. Uh, my son is a teenager. He's awesome. And uh, there's a thing called teenager brain. All right. Uh, what is teenager brain? It's actually kind of phenomenal. Uh, to, to just be real honest. Um, and I was, I was a teenager once and, and uh, I had teenager brain and I'm pretty sure teenager brain comes back close to your forties. Uh, but I had, you know, this, this, Eli has this teenager brain. I've had this teenager brain. If you've known a teenager, you've seen it happen. And it's this special ability. Okay. Uh, it's like a superpower almost, uh, that if you are told something about 47 times, all right. And you are reminded, okay, 47 times. Okay. And, 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 and it's constantly thing. And like, you could be like, okay, like I'm, I'm going to leave now. Just remember, I know, I know I've got it. Okay. You got it. Okay. It's the ability to in about 0.5 seconds, forget everything, forget everything that was just told to you. Just even that one thing. Right. And that is kind of what a teenager kind of brain does. And I remember being there, but what ends up happening is that I, I know what it is. It's like as soon as something like something else comes along in your mind, uh, then your mind is just filled with that. Your mind is just focused on that. And then everything else, it just kind of has been forgotten, right? Uh, Tamara would call that mom brain also, right? If you've ever been a mom, there's something that happens. I don't know uh, what that is, but um, I think that boys, they have teenager brain. And then moms, they make fun of the teenager brain until they become moms. And then they experience mom brain. And that is the ability to forget everything that was happening in that moment because something is going brain, right? So it's like, oh man, like I told it like, and we'll come home and we'll be like, all right. So Eli, remember the thing? I forgot. You said what? Like you forgot, like how, how, how in the world did that happen? Like, how are you, how do you have this special ability to forget everything? Now here's what's truth. Cause he'll say, oh yeah, I forgot. If you're saying, oh yeah, you didn't forget. Okay. Like you remember that there was a something and, uh, and so there wasn't a forgetfulness about it. It just has escaped your brain momentarily. Um, and it happens to every single one of us and, uh, and it's, it's, it's no fun, but here's what I want us to understand. The same exact thing happens to us in our spiritual life. The same thing happens to us. We hear the gospel. All right. We believe the gospel. We know the gospel. In fact, we come back to church on Sunday and we are reminded of the gospel. But during the week, it would appear the gospel has escaped us, right? Sometimes that happens. And I love what Paul's saying here because he's like, it's like the gospel has escaped you, right? And that's why you have been led to all these things. Now, um, in our own lives, whenever the gospel escapes us, it's indicated in several ways, all right? And we'll just put a few of those up on the screen right now, okay? Whenever the gospel has escaped us, we have a tendency to worry more, right? When the gospel has escaped us, we doubt, we become irritable. When the gospel escapes us, our anger starts to get the best of us, right? Our pride begins to reign supreme over our humility. When we forget the gospel, we start getting jealous about things. We start getting envious of things. 
We trust more in ourselves and in our abilities rather than God's plans. And we go right back to struggling with whatever we just felt convicted about on Sunday, right? So we come to church and we hear the gospel. And in that moment, we're like, this is it. This is how I want to live my life. Like, I, I'm, I feel charged and ready to go into the next day. But if we don't remind ourselves of the gospel the next day, then it's so easily forgotten. It so easily escapes our mind, right? And so what do we experience when it escapes, whenever it escapes our mind? We start to experience defeat, right? Whenever we're dealing with all of those things, worry, doubt, irritability, all of things, we start feeling defeated in ways. We start to experience anxiety. We start to experience guilt and shame. How many of you guys have ever felt guilty or shameful because you're now struggling with something that on Sunday you were like, I'm not going to struggle with that anymore, right? So it kind of brings that into your life. And these right here are all natural consequences. Listen to this. All of those things, defeat, anxiety, guilt, and shame are all natural consequences of living in opposition to the life that our creator is trying to guide us in. Those are all in, those are all just natural consequences. So because of our depravity as human beings, what we must do is close the gap between our hearings of the gospel. So what does that mean? Does that mean that we have to come to church like every single day? No, I mean, we, I mean, sure, that'd be great. Like if we all just didn't have jobs and we we're like, let's all go to church, right? And every day we just get like this pump up, right? That'd be awesome. But how do we remind ourselves? Of the, how are we reminded of it? How do we allow it not to escape our brains? It's by every single day preaching the gospel to ourselves. I don't know if you've ever done that before. But sometimes we just need to wake up in the morning and we just need to preach the gospel to ourselves. And I think Paul did that a lot. And we're going to get into that in just a second uh, with some words that he says in just a moment. Um, but here's the, the truth. If we're trying to survive on hearing the gospel once a week, then pretty soon after our focus will start to transfer elsewhere, right? We start having that teenager brain right? And our minds will be filled with what? Our to-do list. How many of you guys ever woke up on Monday and you're just like, all right, it's the easiest thing to do is to go, this is what I need to get done. This is where I need to go. I've got this today. I've got this tomorrow. I've got this on Wednesday. And if I could just make it till Friday, then the weekend will be here. Praise God. But I filled up my weekend. And so now I have this on the weekend as well. Let's just get to church, right? And then Monday, right? And so what happens is we start to kind of freak out just a little bit and our and our brain starts to be focused on other things that are pressing issues in our lives and they're all real things they're all legitimate things they're all things that we have to think of but if we don't preach the gospel to ourselves first then those things will start to overtake our thought process all right and uh i'm not sure if you guys um know but our actions will then start to become reactions to those things rather than a reaction to the gospel, right? And I don't know if you know this or not, but our actions and our reactions are dictated by our state of mind. Our actions and our reactions, they're dictated by where our mind is in that moment, where we are focused in that moment. And I'll give you an example. Have you ever been so stressed out that all it takes is for someone to do something seemingly very insignificant just to set you off. Has that ever happened before? 
Yeah. But, but in another moment in our lives, somebody could do that same insignificant thing and we just let it roll, right? We're like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. Everything's, everything's okay, right? Like for instance, if like something happens at home and let's say like there are times where like maybe my kids will spill something on the floor and I will just be like, are you, where the, everybody's sitting at the, like I'm just like, right? Because what's going on in my life in that moment is it's being reflected in how I'm, what, the words that I'm saying in that moment, right? But if I've just preached the gospel to myself, and I've just had a really good quiet time, something spills, I'm more likely to be like, the grace of the Lord be upon you, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? I mean, but, but it just does something. Like when your mindset is good, we react to things, right? And here's my point, and I'll put this up on the screen for you guys. Um, if our thoughts are on our troubles, our mind will be troubled, right? But if our thoughts are on the gospel, our mind will be at peace, so the more frequently we are reminded of the gospel, the less it will escape our minds and the more at peace we will be. That's an awesome thing for us, right? And so let's talk about that for a second because the word gospel actually means something. We're saying that word right now, gospel. But what is that, right? What, what exactly is the gospel? I love how uh, I was reading through different translations of this chapter. And I love how the Amplified Version uh, says the gospel. It calls it the glad tidings of salvation. I thought that was really good. The glad tidings of salvation. It's the remembrance of the grace that has been shown to us. Remembering that grace, because we all need to remember that, right? It's an awe that leads to gratitude. And in a second, Paul's going to exemplify that very thing. But there are two types. If you, if you notice in that scripture, there are two types of believers, all right? Two different types of believers. Um, the first believer mentioned in that passage was those who believe unto salvation, all right? The second type of believer were those who believe in vain, which does not lead to salvation, Okay, so I want to break those down for just a minute, and I want to talk about those two things. The word believe could convey different things depending on how you use it, all right? I'll give you an example. Um, if I stood up here and I told you guys that I believed in aliens, okay? Like I was just standing up here, and I was like, guys, they're real. I saw one, okay? Like you would go, if I said I believed in aliens, you, you would automatically just think he believes they exist, like he believes they're a real thing, okay? But if I told you and I was standing up here and we were, you, we, were in a different, we were in a different environment, we were kind of in a different context and maybe we were talking about politics or something, right? And I were to tell you that I believed in Joe Biden, would you, would you assume that what I'm saying is, well, I, you believe he exists? Like, I mean, I do too, right? No, like you would understand that word believe differently, right? If I said, I believe in him, you would understand that to mean that I believe that what he is doing is going to work out for the betterment of our country. That's how you would hear that. I'm putting my faith in him and that what he is doing and what he will do is what's best. If I were to say, I believe in him, that's how you would, that's how you would interpret that, right? So when it comes to Jesus, oftentimes there are people who believe in the first instance, they believe that he exists. And a lot of people are banking their salvation on that type of belief, that he just exists. You're gonna to go to heaven when you die? 
Yes. Well, why do you think that is? I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. What are they talking about there? They're talking about a belief in an existence of, all right? But that is actually believing in vain. That's not what a true belief is, all right? And they think that it's going to give them good standings, and unfortunately, it's not. So, in other words, a non-saving, non-life-changing belief is believing in vain. And it would also be called faith, but in actuality, it's not faith at all. It's not faith at all, all right? It's actually the faith of the second type of belief that is a saving faith, all right? So scripture is saying, it's not just believing that Jesus exists, it's not just believing that God exists, it takes it a step further into putting your faith and trust in Jesus. So it's further than that, right? So what does it mean to put my faith or belief and trust in something? So I can tell my kids that I believe in them, right? I know Eli's like, leave me alone. All right. This is, come on, right? Um, I saw a meme one time. It was like, shout out to all the pastor's kids for giving all of the pastors great illustrations through their career. <laughs> like, this is true. Um, but, but like, if I told my kids, if I was like, hey, I believe in you, then they would be like, okay, but if I never showed up, does that show them that I believe in them? No, not at all. But if I said, I believe in you, well then belief is actually a verb. Belief isn't just a word that I'm saying. Belief, there's actually should be action behind that word whenever I say I believe in something. So if I believe in my son, well then I'm gonna, my actions will back him up. My finances will back him up, right? That's what belief is. And that's kind of the same thing that we're talking about whenever we talk about a belief or putting a faith and trust in Christ, okay? Um, so true belief, true faith, like I said, is actually something you do. So like for instance, if I were to, and you guys have probably seen this analogy before, but if I were to like grab this chair right here, right? And I was like, hey, chair, um, I believe in you. I believe in you, chair. I have faith in this chair. And I was like, I, uh, I just want you to know uh, that I have faith in you, and you're just going to stay right there, and um, I'm just going to go sit in that one, right? Does that show that I have faith in this chair? No. I mean, I, I could say that I have faith in this chair, but, but when do I actually have faith? When do I actually prove that I have faith in something? It's when I sit down in this chair, right? I'm not going to sit down in the chair. I do have faith in it, though, but I'm not going to sit down. What? <sighs> All right. Um, they're like, complete the illustration right now. Do it. Anthony, help me out. I'm struggling. Okay. Thanks, buddy. Um, nobody saw me kick. Okay. All right. So yeah, I mean, so it's, it's a verb. It's something that you do. And uh, I can tell you that I believe in Jesus, but, but what does it look like to actually believe in Jesus? Like what does a really true faith in Jesus look like, right? So I want to, I want to, I'll kind of share some scriptures with you guys about what that is. And in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, listen to what this says. You're wondering, how do I, how do I, how does it show that I've put my faith in Jesus? Well, here it is. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So it's not just saying, I believe. 
like an existence, right? That belief has to be backed up with something. And what exactly is it backed up with here? Well, it's a confession that Jesus is the Lord of my life, right? And whenever you do that, you're saying there is a submission of your will to the will of God. That's what that is. All right. So if you, if you claim that you believe in Jesus, yet you are still the of your life, well, then you just have a belief that is in vain. You don't have a real belief at all, right? Not a, not a real faith. So it's a, you, it, but it's whenever you submit to him and confess him as Lord, right? Um, so, and it's kind of a culmination of the understanding of scriptures like uh, these right here. So it's like, how do you get to that point where you're like, okay, I do trust Christ. I am going to admit, I'm going to submit my life to him, and I'm going to confess him as Lord of my life. It's, it's after you've come to a realization of several things, okay? And so the first one is uh, Romans 3.23. And you guys have probably uh, heard most of these verses before, but I want to remind us of these because we're preaching the gospel to ourselves for a second. Um, and so Romans 3.23 says this, for all have sinned and fallen short of God's standard, right? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's what Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says. And so that's us need to understand. That's something that we come to the realization of is that all have, right? Every single one of us has, right? And so we kind of have that in our minds and we go, okay, well, what do we do with that? Like, all right, I, I believe that, okay? I, I'll believe I'll believe that, okay, yeah, I, you don't have to convince me that I have sin in my life. Like, you don't have to do that. Um, we'll just say that I do, right? And so what do I do with that? And then it goes on into Romans 6.23, and it says that the consequences of that sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, all right? So that's the second thing. You're like, okay, hold up. So there's a consequence of these things. Like there's a consequence to that, but then there is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Then you go into something like Romans chapter five, verse eight, and it says, but God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, this news is starting to get really, really good. Like that news, amen, Samuel. This, that news starts to get really, really good, right? And then once you take all of that into account and you're like, okay, so... There's sin in my life, me in opposition to God, but God sent Christ while I was a sinner to die for me. And then it says that if I confess with my mouth if, that he is Lord and I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, then I'll be saved. You see, if you believe all of that, then it comes to that culmination of I will give my life. I will gladly submit my life because of something amazing that has happened to me. Something amazing that has happened for me, right? And so you will end up saying something like, I know that my sin has consequences and must be punished. I believe Christ died on the cross to take my punishment. And in return, this is so good, he is offering me his reward for the perfect life that he lived, his righteousness. And he is exchanging all of my bad for all of his good. And he's wiping away all of my debt. And I believe that he died and rose again. And I want to live for him. With him as my Lord, right? In control of my life instead of myself. That is a true saving faith. That is a true saving belief, right? So I want to, I have this statement that you guys can take a picture of. You can write it down, whatever you want to do. Um, but I think it's really good. And it's this. A true saving belief and faith is a response to the loving kindness, mercy, and grace of God. It results in a placing of trust and submission of life to him as Lord and a commitment to follow him to the best of one's ability. 
that to me is what a true, and that according to scripture is what a true saving belief is. So he's looking at them and he's like, look, some of you guys, it's like you've forgotten. It's like the gospel has just escaped your brain. And so he's telling them that what you needed to be is reminded of that. But then he's like, but, but some of you actually never had a true saving belief anyways, because all you did was believe in vain, right? Um, and so today, just like in Corinth, you have people of both kinds of beliefs, those who believe in vain, you know, just in the existence and those who believe to salvation. So he tells them, I want to remind you of that gospel. Look at verse three. He says, for I delivered to you as of first importance. So what that means is, is what was most important. I brought it to you, the thing that was most important, which is also what had been passed on to me and what I received. And what is it? What's the most important thing? It's this statement right here, that Christ died for our sins. That's what he says is the most important thing. And people always wonder why Jesus or, you know, God in the flesh had to die. Why did that have to happen? Well, it was right there. It just says it for our sins, right? So that they could be atoned for, so that they could be paid for. And just like a court of law, we had broken the law, except we didn't just break a human law. We broke cosmic law, right? We broke the law of God, the creator of all things. And that is a much more serious crime. And the fine, according to scripture that we just read in Romans chapter six, was death. But this is what happened. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. What kind of beliefs are we talking about right there, right? that whoever believes in him will not perish. Is that a belief that says, I believe you exist? No, that's a belief that puts action behind it and submission as Christ as Lord, right? So whoever does that has eternal life. So I love that because there's bad news, but God gives us incredible, incredible news uh, for that. Jesus lived the life that we could not live to pay the fine that we deserved. And uh, Paul goes on in verse three to remind us that all of that was in accordance with the scriptures is what he says. So what is he doing? He's very smart about this. And he's saying, look, it's not, just, it's not just me that's told you this. This has been in your scriptures the whole time. So I'm not bringing you something new. I'm just, I'm just telling you what your scriptures have already told you, right? Not, he's not talking about the New Testament because again, it's not, it's not been written yet. He's talking about the Old Testament, Testament scriptures that they've had, right? And uh, he's talking about like, scriptures that have been written about thousands of years um, before, uh, before Christ was even around, right? I mean, like thousands of years before this, and he knows that they know about them. And uh, for instance, scripture like Isaiah 53, 5, this was written over 600 years before Jesus came to earth and as a baby. But Isaiah 53, 5 says this, but he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds, we are healed. He's like, just as your scripture said, this is what has happened. It's not, a new, it's not anything new that I'm bringing you. It's the gospel that has actually been in the scriptures the whole time. And I wish that we could go through so many more um, different uh, scriptures in the Old Testament that talk about Christ and his birth and uh, even the resurrection. Um, and, uh, but we don't have time to do that here today. But if you ever want to go into that deeper, uh, I've got some resources that you guys can look up and say, I want to just go study these Old Testament scriptures that talk about Christ. Um, and I will be glad uh, to give those to you. But I want
what he says in verse four, though, as he goes on, he says this. Remember, he's like, I just want to remind you of the gospel. Verse four, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. We just read that. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, Peter, then to the 12. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have, have fallen asleep. And what's he, why does he say that? He's saying, go ask them. Like, if you don't, like, don't take my word for it. Like, they're still around. Like, if you want to go ask them about Jesus appearing, there's almost 500 of them that you can go ask. Well, and not one of them will contradict another story. Like, they are all the real deal. So if you want to know, go check it out. And then he says, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. He's like, I'm one of those people. For I, and listen to what he says. I love whenever Paul thinks about himself. Listen to what he says. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed, all right? And we're gonna look more in depth uh, at the resurrection whenever we celebrate Easter uh, in a few weeks. Uh, but Paul reminds them of the gospel by reminding them of three things. A, Christ died. Two, he was buried. And three, he was raised on the third day, right? Those things are the gospel wrapped up. And, uh, and listen to this. Our confidence comes in the fact that not only did our Savior have the power to die for our sins, he also has power over death. That's what that means. Like Jesus has power over death. The resurrection was proof that Jesus' claims about himself were true. Claims like when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through me, Right? Those kinds of claims, claims about that he and the Father are one, right? That he is God. Whenever you come back from the dead, you can believe that, all right? Like if somebody walked in the room right now and they were like, hey, um, I'm Jesus and I'm the one, the Messiah that everybody's been talking about, right? We'd all be like, you're crazy, right? But then if all of a sudden this person like started to do some like miracles and stuff and we're like, okay, that's kind of weird, right? But then all of a sudden like, everybody started hating this person. And then we saw somebody kill this person. We saw this person actually die. We saw this person be placed in a grave. And then we were all like, bummer. We like that guy, right? And then all of a sudden we were like, well, let's just come back. And then they walked back in. We would go, okay, we'll, we'll listen. We'll listen to what you have to say. Why? Because people just don't come back from the dead. All right, it's not something that's normal, not something that happens, right? And so it's so cool that, it sh that, that even death has a creator and, and death itself bows to its creator, right? It's so cool. Um, but then you go, you know, down in verse 17, the Bible tells us this uh, about the resurrection. And if Christ had not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. And in verse 19, he says that if Christ wasn't resurrected, we are to be pitied. If Christ wasn't actually resurrected, everybody should feel the most sorry for Christians. Why? Because we're just wasting our lives. Like it's all just a waste of time. And in fact, um, Paul even kind of says later sarcastically, he says, so we might as well eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die, 
right? He's like, that's, that's might as well be what we do because there is no, if Jesus wasn't resurrected, then there really is no point to any of this. There's no point to anything actually. And everybody should just do whatever they want to do and live whatever life they want to live. And there should be no consequences to anything because you could, you should just be able to do whatever you want. Um, but the fact that he was resurrected actually uh, places some parameters on things and actually shows us that our faith is not to be pitied, but to be envied right? Um, and, uh, but one thing I want to make sure that we see is the fact that Paul hasn't gotten over grace. Sometimes we, we kind of get over grace. You know what I'm talking about? Like sometimes it's like, ah, grace is kind of a big deal right now, but in sometimes in our lives, grace really isn't that big of a deal. And I think Paul, he has just never, through those words that he was saying earlier, has never gotten over grace. And we'll often look at Paul and we go, wow, like what a man of faith, right? What a, like a go-getter, what an example. This guy's incredible. Um, but guys, the reason that we can say those things about him is because he never got over his faith. He never got over grace. He's constantly telling people his testimony. And he's always, and he always mentions how he can't believe that God would forgive a person like him. He cannot believe that grace would be extended to someone like him. And maybe some of you guys are thinking, okay, yeah, well, I mean, that makes a lot of sense uh, because he killed Christians, like, right? Like, I mean, I didn't kill anybody. So like, I mean, he's got a lot to be happy about and forgiven for, right? Um, but, I, but again, listen to his words. He says, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain, right? In other words, God's grace, what he's saying, he's saying God's grace was not wasted on me. God's grace was not wasted on me. And listen, I'm gonna, I'm gonna shoot straight with you guys. Whenever I read that, whenever he said that God's grace towards me was not in vain, that his, that his grace was not wasted, I thought immediately to myself, how often do I waste God's grace in my life? How often do I do that? Like, how often do I squander it? How often do I just take the grace that he has given me and I just sit on it and I do nothing with it? It happens way more than I would like to admit, right? Um, and it just causes me to say, God, please forgive me for the time that I spent wasting and squandering and taking for granted the grace that has been shown to me, right? And, uh, and, and, and like I said, you guys are like, well, but he was, again, he was a Christian killer. But... Um, does grace hit different from, for one sinner than it does another? Should it? It really shouldn't, right? Because, because whether you're killing people or whether you're not, we're all not deserving of grace. Every single one of us do not deserve it, right? And our, our sin, whether it be small or big, that's not any less of an offense to an almighty God. And so we have every reason to be grateful, right? every single reason to be grateful. So, so let's not, let's take this lesson from Paul in this moment and let's not ever waste God's grace on our lives. I don't know what we have to do to make that happen, but let's not ever just waste his grace, right? And, uh, and then he goes on, and, and we're not going to read the rest of these verses that are 12 through 55, um, but I would encourage you to take the time to read those verses because he's dealing with kind of an unbelief in a Greek culture that, uh, re that resurrected bodies don't act like there is no resurrection of the dead, right? And Paul's like, hold up, let me just kind of correct that a little bit. Um, and so he kind of goes throughout that. And then he, and they even, and he even like, 
knows they're going to ask a question like, okay, well then what does our bodies look like, right? Like if they're going to be resurrected. So he kind of answers that as well. And the, and then by the way, the summary of that is, I don't know. Like that's what he says, basically. He's like, who knows? Um, but he tackles, you know, several things uh, in that scripture. And so, um, so if you want to check that out, you can. He also talks about like how sin entered the world through Adam, but is also erased through another man, which was Jesus. And so it's really, really good. Uh, but I want to close today with kind of these final words of chapter 15. Um, and not only are they for the church at Corinth, but they're also for the church uh, for, for us as well. So it says in verse uh, 56 through 58, it says, For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So my dear brothers and sisters, strong and immovable, always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. I love he says, be strong and immovable. And we do this by remembering the gospel, always. And also when we remember the gospel, it will bring an enthusiasm about the work that we're doing because we're confident that everything we are doing, he is at work in. So what I wanna do in closing tonight is I just wanna ask you, uh, how often do you remind yourself of the undeserving grace that you have been shown? How often, how often do you remind yourself of the gospel, right? Has the gospel escaped your memory? Had, did, was it, did, had it escaped your memory before you walked in today? In fact, let me just ask this. If you were at church last week or whenever, Bible study on Wednesday, can you pinpoint at what point in your week the gospel seemed to have escaped your memory? Maybe we think about that for a second, right? Yeah, I mean, I can probably go back and go, yeah, that's pretty much where everything fell apart, <laughs> right? Like that's kind of how it goes. Um, or maybe you're in the other boat and maybe you've never truly believed. Maybe you've never truly trusted Christ as savior. And maybe today you wanna make that decision to believe with faith and trust in a submission to him for the first time. And I would highly recommend that. That's the best thing that I've ever done in my whole entire life. And, uh, and I know there are several people in this room that would agree with that. Um, but uh, but I, what I want us to do is I just want us to take a moment. We've heard the gospel here today. I want to take a moment and just allow us time to reflect on that gospel, to remind ourselves of the grace that we've been shown personally in our own lives and allow that to transform us and allow that to bring us joy and enthusiasm and put us in a right frame of mind. And then also I want you to, as you're kind of praying, uh, decide uh, you and the Lord with how you're going to remind yourself of the gospel throughout the week this week. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, please visit our website at hopecommunitynyc.com.